been with us during this series, you know we've been attempting to give the opportunity for scribbling notes during the sermon so that you can write down and take note of what is particularly coming at you from the Scriptures. Um, You might notice that over the months and the years, you'll sit and you'll listen to the Word and there'll be moments where you think that's really good and then you go home and you've forgotten it immediately. This is an attempt to actually try and catch and hold on to what you receive and prayerfully reflect on it. And it also gives us the opportunity after church, when, when, we, when we finish this kind of formal gathering time, to talk about the weather and all those kind of things, but also have the gut sometimes to ask, well, what do you think of all that? And what, what did you get out of that? And you get the chance to share. And, and I want to encourage you to do that if you feel able. Not everyone feels able to ask those kind of deeper questions, and that's okay. Talk about the weather. Weather's been beautiful, hasn't it? There you go. That'll do. Um, but... Um, if you do get the chance to share with a brother or sister about something that, they've, that they're reflecting deeply on, maybe even feeling quite emotional about, um, take the chance to pray for them if you feel up for doing that as well. We, we can pray for each other. It's one of the ways we get to minister to each other. So if you get that opportunity over pancakes as it's dribbling down your face, pray for a brother or sister. There you go. James chapter 4. Verse 13 to 17, I'm aware that some of you have had um, a tricky kind of week. In fact, I know of a number of you who have lost people this week. So some of your friends have passed away. And I know it's in those types of moments um, that you can be arrested and find yourself thinking deeply about life. And you can find yourself asking the bigger questions about life again. In fact, there'll be moments throughout your life and throughout your years where you'll have those deeper reflective moments. Lots of things can trigger it. And maybe you've had one recently where your heart, the big questions of your heart kind of bubble up. And and the questions are things like, why am I here? Like, seriously, what is this life that we're living Those kind of big questions. And they're the big ones that need to be answered in your life, by the way. and Because your heart will keep asking them and you'll keep looking for answers to satisfy those questions until your heart is settled. Now, the beautiful thing about coming to the Scriptures is these big questions get asked in the Scriptures. You know, you ask that question, what is my life? It's a massive one. I'm not sure you're ready for that kind of question. What is my life? Well, James gives an answer to that question in the text we read tonight. Did you, did you read it? If, if, if you haven't yet, open up your Bible again or open it up on your phone or whatever you need to do. And, and look there, James answers or asks that question, verse 14. Um, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? James poses the question, what do you think your life is? What is your life? And then he gives an answer that is, I've got to say, brutal. Well, it's, it's certainly kind of whiplash kind of answer. Look at the answer he gives. What is your life? And then he says, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Well, thank you very much, James, for that. That is nice of you. I would like to think bigger, more lofty thoughts about myself and my life. So to open up the scriptures or maybe you come to church tonight wanting to hear something nice about yourself and here you go, you're a mist 
You're a puff of vape. (laughs) Yep. That just appears for a minute and then it's gone. Have you, have you considered your life in that type of fashion? Because that's, that's what James wants us to think about here tonight, that our life is just like a mist. Uh, it's not easy to hear. It doesn't make me feel very significant when I hear that type of thing. I mean, I know life is short, yep, and I'm reminded of it when friends and family pass away, and some of you have had that this week. And we'll all have it constantly for the rest of your life. We're reminded, wow, life's short. It could be gone for me tomorrow. And we can spend a day or two or a couple of weeks thinking, whoa, life's short. But then that thought can drift away again. And we get on with all the usual things about life, thinking just implicitly that, yeah, my life's going to go on for a long time. We know life's short, but when you put it like this, that you're just a mist, it, it can almost make you feel like your life is pointless. I mean, is that what James is trying to do? I don't think so, ultimately. Yeah. But it can make you feel like that. And I tell you what, if there's one thing I know about humans, it's, it's that they have been obsessed with finding meaning and significance in life right throughout history. Just look at what humans have been up to. They're, they're, we are a race that is obsessed with meaning. And significance. So you go telling a human that their their existence is pointless, they will not have it. (laughs) We want significance, we want purpose, we simply will not accept that there is no point. And rightly so. I mean, if there is a God who decided to create and he made a race like the humans that we're a part of and he did it intentionally, then surely he did it with intent. He did it with purpose. Surely he created your life for a reason. Yeah. And so there is purpose. So, so therefore, why does James say it like this? Why is James, who, who's James writing to? And why is he feeling the need to tell them that their life is a mist here today and gone tomorrow? Let's dig in and see why he feels the need to say that. Because James, as we've seen before, he's not, um, he doesn't pull punches. Uh, He doesn't mix his words. He's like that big brother who's got something to say because he loves you and he's going to tell you straight up. And here he comes for us again this week, telling us that our lives are a mist. Um, James um, is speaking here to people particularly about um, the plans that they make for the future and how they speak about their wonderful plans that they're making for themselves. That's, that's the kind of topic that James is speaking into here. So let's have a look at what the plans are that these people are making and why James has a problem with it. Look at verse 13. Now listen. That's a really direct way of addressing people. He's like, you listen. Um, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. So it sounds like it's just someone just um, sharing their plans for what they're going to do next year and, and, and people would say, that sounds wonderful, why don't you do that, you go girl, you know. You go and do that and make money. James is speaking here to Christians, like these are Christians, or at least churchgoers. Um, they're wealthy Christians, they're wealthy enough to be making decisions because they've got options, that's what wealth does, it gives us options. 
um, and means we can make decisions about what we want to do with our life. You, you and I live in like a, the top percentage of the population on the globe that has more money than anyone else. And it means we have the power to make decisions with our lives. We have options to know what we want to do with our life. But I tell you one thing's for sure, with all those decisions and options that we have, it means we're more stressed and anxious than anyone else walking the globe. Um, so having wealth doesn't really help us too much. Um, he's speaking to Christians who are wealthy, who are intentional planners. They're deciding that what they're going to do next year to expand their business propositions to make more money. That's really clear. They're going to progress. They're going to advance their own cause. They're going to expand their own business, which is what you told, get told to do, isn't it, when your business is working? Well, what's your next employee and where are you going to take it next? Are you going to franchise it? What are you going to... You know, it's, 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 the, it's the air we breathe in the developed first world capitalist culture expand your business as much as you possibly can. Go and make more money. Um, so these are Christians who are living like this with plans like that and they're confident. The way they're speaking about their plans is, I'll tell you what I'm going to do next year. I'm going to go to that country. We're going to launch there. We're going to carry on business. You watch me make money. That, that's the sense of what James is addressing. Now, on one level, you might say, what's so bad about that? It it's kind of sounds a bit harmless on some level, doesn't it? People making plans, you know, to use what they've got, you know, to, to make more. It doesn't sound too evil. And, and let me just say right up front, there's nothing wrong with making plans. In fact, I would encourage you to do so. I would encourage you to live intentionally. Look ahead and make plans for what you're going to do. I mean, the apostles make plans about their life, about what they're going to do to get the gospel to go out further. Nothing wrong with making plans. Nothing wrong with making money. In fact, you get told to earn a living. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, um, you know, get a job, work hard with your hands. Uh, now, there's a particular reason why you're meant to get a job and why you're meant to earn a living. Chapter 4, verse 28, the motive is so that you wouldn't be a burden and so that you'd have something to share with those who are in need and give to gospel ministry. That, that's the motive behind getting a job. And there's nothing wrong with making plans, getting a job, or even being rich. There's nothing in, in and of itself evil about being wealthy. I mean, if it was, then the apostles would address wealthy people and actually just simply um, pull them up for being wealthy. But you don't get that. If you, if you looked at some of those readings in the, in the um, reading guide this week, you would have gone to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, where Paul is telling Timothy to address the rich people in his church. And he doesn't tell the rich people, you're bad for being rich. You need to stop being rich. He says to the rich people, command them not to be arrogant or put their hope in their wealth because wealth will do that to you. you you'll find yourself drifting towards arrogance and putting your hope, meaning your, 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 your sense of strength in your wealth. Money fools us, people. It gives us a false sense of being in control and being powerful because with money you can make decisions and pay for them. So it easily slips toward feeling proud and becoming arrogant and not feeling the need for anyone else but being self-sufficient. But just to mention those things right up front, there's nothing wrong with making plans, nothing wrong with making money, nothing wrong with being rich. So what's the problem here that James is getting into? 
Well, look at verse 16. He gives you a little bit more detail. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Which tells you when they're talking about their plans for next year, it's not simply just sharing what they intend to do. It's, it's boasting and it's arrogant and it's evil. That's pretty strong. Boasting, arrogant and evil. Behind their plans and behind the proclaiming of their wonderful plans, it is a desire to bring glory to themselves in the process. It's proud arrogance. And as we kind of go through this, see if you can catch any of yourself in this. That's what we're trying to do every week. Not just go, wow, that must have been bad, or yeah, I think I know someone like that. It's like, no, no, this is for you. How are you like this? How, are you, how do you have pride and arrogance lurking there in the way you make plans for the future? Because what they're doing here really is to kind of put out their plans in a sense that says, look at how good I am. Look at how powerful I can be to decide what I'm going to do. Look how confident I am in the outcome I'm going to get. Listen to my plans and strategy and how awesome it is. Look at how smart I am and you watch me go and make more money. And the big thing that's missing in all of this is God. Yep, that's the big thing. Nothing wrong with making plans, nothing wrong with making money. But I tell you what, you do it without regard for God and there's an issue. It's actually the height of arrogance to confidently plan out your future without regard for the one that gave you life and has a purpose for your life. It's the height of arrogance to leave God out of the process when you're making plans. It's it's arrogance to leave God out of the picture. And when we do that, when we make plans for the good of our great picture in life, It is to be full of self-confidence and self-sufficiency and self-reliance, which we're told are the very things we need to pursue and get more of. But to not have God involved in the decision-making, we are told, is proud arrogance. And that might just look as simple as something like this. You go ahead and decide what you're going to do in the future and you make the decision and you enact the decision, but there's been no prayer. There's been no inquiring of God. There's been no waiting. There's been no seeking wise counsel. Not your friends, wise counsel. There's been none of that. It's simply just been this decision-making process and then maybe a distant afterthought down the track you've you've thought, yeah, actually I wonder what God might have for me in this, but it's not been part of the process. You ever catch yourself doing that? James would tell us it's, it's, it's proud arrogance. Yep. It's at the very heart of leaving God out of your plans is proud, arrogant, and he even says it's evil, and he, which is to say that it's messed up. Now, you might still be thinking, oh, I don't see how it's messed up, Tim. It doesn't sound that bad, really. I mean, of all the bad things to do with your life, how is leaving God out of the picture when you make plans for your future that bad? Well, I've got three things. You might want to write these down as we go through. 
To leave God out of the picture when you make plans is to have too high a view of yourself, to have too low a view of God, and to completely misunderstand the purpose for your existence. So those three things, I haven't got a slide for you for those three. Maybe you can remember them, I'll scribble them down, see if this helps. So first thing, too high a view of yourself. Um, when we do this, when we leave God out of the plans, it's to kind of see yourself as being pretty solid and pretty substantial. It's actually to see yourself as the one who actually does control your own future and determine your own outcomes. Um, but it's foolish because that is a failure to see who you really are. And who you really are, again, is not what we really want to hear about ourselves. But here's the deal. You are a dependent creature. Now, again, that doesn't sound very affirming. We, we, if, you've, if you're a parent, you've got kids and you understand that they're dependent on you. But to be told as an adult that I'm a dependent creature? Listen up, your, your life is not a closed system that you can control. It's just not. And all you've got to do is go through a few seasons in life and see tragedy coming flying at that you, that you had nothing to do with, it just came for you, to realise, yeah, actually, I'm not in control. I do everything I can to try and gain a sense of control with my life and with the wealth that we have, but the truth is I'm not. And I've got to tell you, if there's one thing that knocked us all around, it was the pandemic, wasn't it? It was COVID. It just knocked the first world around in the kind of way that forced us to consider the fact that we're not in control. I actually think that was the most painful thing about lockdown and everything that changed in 2020 and 2021. There was, there was the concept of, you know, not being able to leave your house and there was disruption in your workplace and there was all kinds of things. But I think the fact that the levels of anxiety and stress just went through the roof and, and, and the level of alcohol consumption just went through the roof, the fact that all those things went through the roof has got more to do. We were faced with the reality that we're not in control. And we do not like that. We don't know what to do with that. And particularly in the developed world, we love the sense of control. But the truth is, and this is the truth bomb that James drops on his readers here. Look at verse 14. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. <laughs> That's the truth of it. Nothing wrong with making plans, but the tr if truth be told, you do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. Do you? I mean, you could probably predict what's going to happen. If it's going to be a normal Monday, you're going to wake up and think, I hate Monday. <laughs> or maybe you don't hate Monday. I don't know. However, you, might, you could probably predict what's going to happen, but you do not know what's going to happen. And to live as though you do is proud arrogance. Sickness could hit you tomorrow like it's hit some of your family and friends. It could be cancer that comes for you tomorrow. It's probably going to come for you at some stage in your life. Most of us will be taken down by that. We'll be shocked when it hits us. We usually are. But something like that could come for you tomorrow. We're fragile. We're dependent. You know, when Jesus teaches... Um, actually, turn to Luke 12 with me. You want to come there? Come to Luke chapter 12. This is Jesus just speaking to a crowd and he gets asked a particular question um, by someone who um, is trying to get him to help with a dispute between his brother and the inheritance. Never heard of a conflict like that before, have we? 
So Luke chapter 12, you pick it up in verse 13, just in the middle of Jesus' teaching, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, which sounds like this guy just needs an arbiter of the will. He just needs a bit of help. Um, can, you, can you help us navigate this? Doesn't sound like a terrible question, but the way Jesus responds is to show that Jesus sees where the questions come from. Jesus knows what's going on in this guy's heart and he knows what the problem is. Look at how Jesus comes back at him. Verse 14, um, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge and arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. So Jesus sees what's happening in, in this guy's heart is a desire, it, it's greed, and it's a desire for more because um, he thinks that life consists in the abundance of what you possess, the possessions that you get. And then Jesus launches into this parable, which is a great little story to help us understand. And so look at verse um, 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. You know that problem when you've got so much money, you don't know what to do with it? <laughs> That's what this, this is this guy's problem. Um, then he said to him, uh, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and then I'll store up all my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, take life easy, eat a drink and be merry. In other words, this guy's plan is to figure out how to store more wealth, way more wealth than he will ever need, but he's figured out a way to hoard more for himself for the sake of just the pleasures of life. That, that's what he's going to do with his wealth. Um, and look at, what, look, look, at, look at where this goes. Verse 20, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. That's good to have those plans, mate. Good on you. But I'll tell you what's actually going to happen. You're going to die tonight. So hoard your wealth as much as you want, but you're about to get snuffed out. And you're a fool for living and hoarding your wealth. Look at what Jesus says in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. That's really key to catch that. This is how it'll be for anyone who stores up wealth for themselves, but is not rich towards God. That little phrase, rich towards God, you could make that if you want. You could make that your life I don't know, what's the, what, your life what? What do we call it? What is it? Motto, yeah, yeah. Rich towards God, which I assume just means to use everything you've got, your time, your energy, your finances, your skills, your talents, everything that's actually been given to you and entrusted to you for a few short years, you use it to be rich towards not yourself, rich towards God and just spend your life trying to figure out what that means. And it's broad, but it's going to be giving yourself and everything you've got towards what's going to glorify his name, lift up his praise, make more of him and not yourself. Jesus, you know, teaches often like this. Come back to James with me. What is your life? You're a mist. You're just here for a brief moment. What are you going to do with it? Jesus would say, you'd be rich towards God, 
with what you've got. Like in the biggest sense, with everything you have and everything you are. You'll have moments in your life where you feel solid and you feel substantial. Especially when you're younger, you feel like, I'm going to live forever. (laughs) And uh, you feel strong. And then it it doesn't take long before the edges get knocked off you. Um, But you'll only feel strong for a moment. Yep. Job 7 and Psalm 39. Life is just a breath. You're not in control. You're fragile. Your days are short. So here's the thing about making plans without regard for God. It can involve too high a view of yourself. So lower the view of yourself. The Bible might be, the church might be the only place where you hear that kind of message because everywhere else will be tell you, no, your biggest problem is you don't, you don't have enough esteem about yourself. And there's, there's lots to be said about all that, but you, you, it's possible to have a too high a view of yourself. And I think that is something we suffer from in our society thinking we're way more powerful than we are. Too high a view of yourself, and and what's connected with that is too low a view of God. And she's real guilty here. Too low a view of God. What is your picture of God? What do you think he's doing? What do you think he's like? Do you think he's just hanging there, just kind of having a little look at what you're up to and just waiting for, you know, how he can from time to time just kind of help you with what you want? help with so that you can be and do all that you want to be and do with your life. Is, is, that, is, is that the picture? Like we've, we've all got a picture of God and what he's like, and it's probably different for all of us. But, but if you think God's just sitting back there just waiting or trying to help you be all that you can be, think again. God is alone the all-powerful, sovereign ruler of the universe. And with his powerful hands, he determines all things. His hands of providence control the course of history and the details of your life. See the story of Joseph. God is the one who determines how many days you get on this earth. Psalm 139, all of your days are ordained before any of them take place. God is the one who determines your timing of existence in history and even the location where you would live. You go to Acts chapter 17, Paul talks about there that God sets the exact times and places when a person would live, which is tricky for us because we like to think, no, I decided to move here. I decided to do that with my life. Yeah, yeah. over the top and underneath and all around your decision-making as a sovereign God who determined for you to exist in this point in history and be here in this place. He brought you here. He is the one who determines the outcome of your plans and your efforts. Proverbs 16 verse 9, we make plans, God determines the steps. It's God's sovereign will that determines all of life. And if you believe that, and many of us would say we do, but if you really get that, and you let that settle down to be something that sits on the seat of your heart that's real, then it will be reflected in your life. James points out here one really key way for it to be reflected is in your speech and in your language. Have a look at verse 15. Instead, like instead of just announcing your plans with 
pride and arrogance. He says, look, instead of doing that, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. There you go. So there's a little bit of language, a little bit of practical way of applying what we're getting here today. When you announce, when you share your plans, when someone asks you what you're going to get up to, have a go at bringing that kind of language into your sentences. If it is the Lord's will, what did you say? If it is the Lord's will, number one, I will live (laughs) and I will go here and do that. So just, just take that one for every day you wake up. This is not just for old people. Every day you ought to wake up and go, all right, another one. Here I am alive again. If it is the Lord's will, I will live. And if it's the Lord's will, I'll go and do those things that I'm planning on doing. It's language that can humble the way you speak and it can humble your heart in the process. God willing, I'll do this and that. So here we are as a church planning to go to two services. Yeah, good on you, church, making your big fancy plans, all that kind of stuff. Oh, God willing, you know, God willing on the 6th of August we'll do this, but let's see, eh? Like we live through the pandemic, we know how the best plans can get chucked up in the air. We think this is a good plan, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what God does with it. God willing. Try injecting that into a lot of your sentences. Here's what I will, here's what I'm planning to do, God willing. Because the good thing about Practicing that with your speech is that your speech not only reflects what's going on in your heart, your speech also has a way of informing and actually affecting your heart. So if you use language like this, you will be reminding your heart about the reality of life and you will be humbling yourself and acknowledging the reality of a sovereign God. It's helpful to express Um, and qualify all of your plans and hopes with reference to the sovereignty of God. And it's helpful to do it on a daily basis. So I would say do this every morning. When you wake up, say to yourself, well, there you go, got another day. Thank you, Lord. Um, Acknowledge to God that you are completely dependent on him in this new day. Um, Ask, well, Lord, it's likely I'm going to need more grace as I live today. Um, God, anything I give my hands to, you will determine whether it works and the outcome of what I do. If something does work in any given day, family, paid work, in your neighbourhood, if anything works, express gratitude to God for bringing about that outcome because he's the one that used your labour to bring that. Cast all your concerns on him. Start with him. Prayers of humble dependence. There's the second one. Here's the third one. That's the final one. So here's what we've done so far. To leave God out of your plans is evil because it it ends up having a um, too high a view of yourself, too low a view of God. And here's the third one. A, A complete misunderstanding of your purpose. Life is short, it's just a mist, but you're significant and you are important and your life matters. So what you choose to do 
with the days that you get really matters. You exist for a purpose. And, 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 when, and when I say that, let me clarify, the most common mistake for Christians when we hear that God has a purpose for us is to think that we can define or invent the nuances of that purpose for ourselves and God will just be about letting that happen. So please don't hear me saying that. When I say your life has a purpose um, or God has a purpose for you, please don't hear me saying, yeah, go ahead and think up your own wonderful one and God will just be for you. But that's the classic mistake that Christians do. We define or we think we can define or invent our own purpose for ourselves. We get told to follow our dreams and live our truth. But have you noticed how humans are not that creative with living out their truth? or living out their dream. We get told to just go about and be all that you can be, but most humans go after the same stuff. It's, it's all the same stuff that everyone's trying to live for, and none of it actually brings true happiness. It, it's either pursue lifestyle that you think is going to help you be the, the ultimate, just relaxed, calm guru in your own world, or it's to accumulate as much as you can for yourself for the sense of security, because that's what wealth can help us feel safe. Or, or it's to try to use what you've got to actually experience incredible things and party hard and live it up. You know the, most, uh, or the more acceptable version of that or the more responsible growing up version of that is, is um, to think, well, I'm going to make the world a better place. That's my purpose. I'm going to make my mark. You want to be pretty confident you know how to make this world a better place. That's a pretty big job description you're giving yourself there. Leave the world a better place? How? How are you going to do that? How are you going to make your mark? Well, the other one we say is, I'm going to live for a legacy. This is what you do after you've gone through middle age. You're like, what's going to be my legacy? (laughs) When I die, what are people going to say? What's going to be left behind? We want to leave a legacy. But often when we say that, what we mean is a legacy for my own family name or a legacy for the reputation of mine that I leave behind. That's usually what we've got in mind. I tell you what, kind of, you want to talk about legacy? If you're a Christian, here's your legacy. Leave behind more people who are focused on Jesus and living for him and forget entirely about you. There's your legacy. It doesn't matter if anyone's at your funeral talking about how awesome you are. What matters is that there's more people, one to Christ, loving him, enjoying him and doing that for all eternity. Live for that legacy. I think that's what it means to try and be rich towards God with your life. You you do have a purpose for your existence. You, You can try to invent one for yourself, but there's someone who made you and has in, has in mind what he has for you and how he wants you to live. We exist for him. You know, you go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, all things are created by him and for him, and that includes you. You're made by him and you're made for him. But as a Christian, you're not simply made by him like the rest of creation, you're also saved by him. So you're, you're doubly owned, has been said by many in the past. You're doubly owned by God. He's made you and then he's come for you in the person of his son. He's gone to the cross and shed his blood 
to actually pay for your sin and offer you forgiveness. And for all those who come to trust in Jesus' work on the cross and, and, and come and put their trust in him and follow him, you now are owned. You're his. You always were, but now you are particularly. And you are to live for his glory and his name and his fame. You're to live to magnify him. You'll live to build his kingdom. You're to hand over your plans, make them his. So life is short. You're a mist. But that does not mean your life is pointless. In God, there is ultimate significance for your existence. There is ultimate meaning to give yourself to. Don't waste your days accumulating wealth for the sake of your own enjoyment. And we need to hear this message daily, living in the developed world. Do not accumulate wealth to spend on your own pleasures and enjoyment of life. This will be the only place you hear this message in the week, unless you've got your Bible open during the week, which we need to be. Yeah? That is to waste your life to live like that. Life short. There is a God. He's come to save you and call you to himself. Live for him. It's, it's just a short moment. And I think if this is going to apply particularly to how we make plans for the future, let me finish with what I think is um, where my mind goes with all this. I think typically the way we make plans is usually like this. Tell me if I'm wrong. You're thinking about where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do and how I want to live and people ask you, what are you going to do with your life? We usually think about these categories first. We think, well, what's the job I'd like to have or career I'd like to have? We think, um, where would I like to live and what kind of lifestyle can I pursue? We think, where's my family and where are my friends or where have I got a good chance of building that kind of community? We ask those kind of questions first, usually, and then we make our decisions and we move somewhere or we go somewhere and we do something. And then as an afterthought, we kind of go, well, I wonder if there's a good church there. Well, I wonder if there's a place there where I can be part of a Christian community where I continue to grow deeply in Jesus and I get to serve sacrificially for the Lord with a bunch of people where it's effective for the Lord. That's often an afterthought. Because we make our decisions that way. And I think when you read a passage like what James is saying here, it, it makes me want to flip that whole process on its head, which is pretty controversial. It's pretty countercultural. But what would it like to flip that process on its head? Because you'll be making big decisions for the rest of your life. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Flip it upside down. Have God smack bang there in the centre and start with this question. Where can I best and most effectively serve Jesus? Where can I likely continue to grow deep in Jesus? Ask those two questions first. And if there's a relatively obvious answer for you there, pray about that one. Ask God, Lord, where would you have me serve you? And, and, and if there's a place and a church and a ministry, then I would just kind of say, do everything you can to make that happen. Try and find a job near that to make that work. Try and talk your family into moving to be there with you. Try and make friends to do that. Try and make that work because that's primary for you. And you will not regret at the end of your life 
when you stand before the Lord and need to give an account for your life, you will not regret making decisions that way. It's pretty controversial. And maybe some of you there are thinking, is he talking to me? Yes. <laughs> I'm talking to all of you because I'm talking to myself. I know the way my heart goes. I know the way decisions likely get made. But I want him to be first. And please, none of you feel like I'm talking particularly to you. If you think I'm talking to you, it's probably something for you to hear here. Yeah? I'm going to kind of stop in a minute. I'm going to stop now, actually. I'm just going to leave it there. Um, and as you know, we've tried to take a moment at the end of each of the messages to just pause and consider. You know, I've said a lot already um, about leaving God out of your plans. And how James would say it's evil. You're thinking too highly of yourself. You're thinking too lowly of God. Do you understand the purpose for your existence? Is that being displayed in the way you make decisions? With this life that has been entrusted to you for a few short days, a few short years, just a mist. As I've been talking, I've thought of something for myself and so I'm going to write that down and I'm going to pray about that and I want to give you a moment to do the same thing. So just take a moment to reflect quietly for yourself. You might want to pray, you might want to scribble, but just take a moment and then we'll pray together. Father God, you've given us life and you've rescued us with your son and you've ordained these days that we have. Oh, Lord, rescue us again and again from the proud arrogance of making plans for our lives without regard for you. Rescue us again and again from being so self-centred and you being an afterthought. Lord, we want you to be our first thought. We need you to be working in us by your Holy Spirit to enable that. Please, Lord, have your way with us. Shape us. Change us. Use our days for your name. Help us to be rich towards you with these lives that you have entrusted us with. Please, Lord. Amen.